Good morning. Uh, you'll notice if you look in your order of service that there's two names next to the sermon because Mandy and I will be splitting it. And you'll also notice the title of the sermon is Tables and Friends. Um, that's because I'm going to preach on tables and Mandy's going to preach on friends. And I believe I have enough faith that y'all can draw the connections between the two. At last count, I am just shy of 700 trail days under my belt. In other words, I have slept outside and under the stars for almost two years of my life. The vast majority of this number came from when I was working as a field guide in the Utah high desert. And one of the things I noticed very quickly at that job was that when someone comes out of the field, inevitably they feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude for everything that can be found in modern life. I have seen full-grown adults cry, hold one another, and wail over the sight of a milkshake and a cheeseburger <laughs> after a month and a half in the field. And after a while, everyone develops idiosyncratic cravings. I had a coworker who worshipped toilet paper. <laughs> Worship fully, fully worshipped toilet paper. Another for whom, the, when they were able to turn the radio to the top 40 hits, for them, that was a transcendent moment. But for me, I felt gratitude when I sat down at a table. Toilet paper? Who cares? <laughs> Sticks, rocks, leaves, you're fine. Radios? I can sing off pitch, and I have birds. Don't need it. But tables, tables are a joyous miracle. Do you know what nature fails at spectacularly? <laughs> Creating level, horizontal surfaces around waist high. <laughs> that combination of traits is fundamentally impossible to find in the wilderness. So I do not use the word miracle lightly, although maybe a little tongue-in-cheek. After eating food that has dirt in it, placing books in the sand, and doing paperwork on uneven rocks. A table is the impossible made possible. A small miracle just for me. Coming out of the desert, it's easy to feel mentally and spiritually a tremendous amount of gratitude for everyday life. Tables, toilet paper, the radio, cheeseburgers. However, it's really, really hard to maintain a sense of gratitude for everyday miracles. I went on a camping trip to the White Mountains a few months ago, and I was only gone for about a week and a half. But when I returned, I caressed my desk and told it that I would always protect it from spills and neglect. And as of this morning, last count when I was editing this, it has four dirty dishes, a collection of half-written cards, one Tupperware, three books, and a half-eaten bag of hot Cheetos on top of it, along with a variety of dust that has accumulated. Clearly, 
I have not managed to maintain my sense of awe over the everyday miracle that is my desk. Gratitude is important for many reasons. And if, like me, you appreciate your sermons having peer-reviewed evidence, here you go. Academic studies at the University of Kentucky, George Mason, London School of Economics, University of Manchester, UC Davis, and our very own small public liberal arts school over there, sorry, private liberal arts school over there, shows that gratitude at a bare minimum enhances empathy, reduces aggression, reduces pain, improves physical and psychological health, and produces better sleep. Now raise your hand if you would not like any of that. <laughs> Gratitude is important. In fact, the only empirically proven downside to gratitude, and I don't think this is a downside, although some do, is that apparently the more gratitude you embrace in your life, the larger craving for sweets you have. <laughs> so once again, gratitude is something that gives you all of those benefits and also gives you a cookie. <laughs> However, moving beyond the peer-reviewed evidence, I feel like the importance of gratitude can be summed up in the following quote by Melody Beattie. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos into order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend or in my case, a table into a miracle. Gratitude also connects us to that which is larger than ourselves. When I look at my table without gratitude, it is a very shoddily glued collection of planks. But when I look at it with gratitude, I enjoy my table, which means I am enjoying a table made of wood which means I am enjoying wood that was taken from a tree that was located on some parcel of land, and it can all be traced back to the glorious, wonderful bounty of the natural world. One of my favorite Islamic practices is the tradition of saying alhamdulillah after blessings and hardships. A rough translation is thanks be to God or praises be to God. And there's a long and storied tradition that when things are good, you say alhamdulillah, and when things are bad, you say alhamdulillah. It is important to offer thanks at all times. But the second practice is much harder than the first. And yet, somehow, it is almost as hard to show gratitude for the good, mundane things in our lives as it is to show gratitude for the hardships. And so when I pray, I remind myself to offer thanks to that which is invisible to me because of my own actions. The miracle of the table is plain to see. It only becomes invisible when I stop being grateful. 
Our society privileges and desires the extraordinary. Few people tell bedtime stories about pulling the perfectly serviceable sword from the average scabbard. <laughs> no, we have to pull Excalibur from the rock. And even in this tale, the table does not go unscathed. It has to be the round table. You can hear the capitalization. No one writes myths about the slightly oblong table picked up from a secondhand goodwill. But they should, because as the owner of many a goodwill and secondhand IKEA tables, these tables are extraordinary. And that is also where the power of gratitude comes in. When we look at the mundane things in our lives with gratitude, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. But this can only happen if we practice gratitude. And that can be tough, especially when your immediate response is not to feel gratitude. It's the reason why my table is a holy object after I have been in the woods for a month. And yet, after I have been home for a month, it transforms into a place for dish collection. The ordinary can be transformed into the extraordinary, but it requires us to be grateful even when we may not feel like it. The good news is gratitude is a choice, and it is one that we can choose every day, either by praying or keeping a gratitude journal or just making sure to sincerely say thank you to everyone and anyone who helps you every day. As a spiritual practice, gratitude is one of the most readily available ones. For we all have much, much to be grateful for. Thank you. Thank you, Will, for your sense of humor. <laughs> Thank you, tall Will. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. As much as I love tables, about that, it's about how my friends saved my life. And it's about the things I'm grateful for. We have a lot of powerful justice ministries here. Our dedication to justice is so strong that we house a soup kitchen, a young adult shelter, an LGBTQ day program, an elder care program. It's so strong that we send volunteers to the sanctuary church around the corner every week. It's so strong that we offer 
comprehensive sexuality education for three different age levels of children beginning at kindergarten. And it's so strong that our safe congregation policy is held up by um, the UUA as a model for other congregations. I am grateful to work in a place where these are the priorities that we live out loud. And I'm grateful for another congregation too. I wanna tell you a little bit today about my home congregation, the UU Church of Reading. Because when you're the religious educator, it's a really good idea for your children to have a, another program to go to. <laughs> so they have gone through the RE program in Reading. And there, the justice work includes volunteering at the local food pantry and soup kitchen and teaching children about our impact on the environment. But it also includes a lot of work looking inward and tending to pain inside the community. We have a prayer shawl ministry for people facing challenges. We have a dinner delivery for folks having surgery. And we have a strong culture there a vulnerable sharing that lets us comfort each other. For instance, sharing joys and concerns out loud during worship has knit the community together in a very intimate way. People know what is going on deep in each other's hearts. And the youth group there is another great example. It starts each week with a check-in that allows the high schoolers to share deeply about what's going on in their lives. And it's a powerful listening ministry that many of us parents credit with saving lives. Our children's lives and our lives. Over the years, as those youth, including my children, grew closer together, the parents and caregivers did too. We saw each other week in and week out. We decided to get together while our children were at youth group. And we shared the challenges in our children's lives. We were honest and scared and vulnerable with each other. I remember one of those most vulnerable moments, standing in a parking lot with another parent, dropping off our children for an overnight and talking with the trip leaders about our children's medications and how to keep them safe. We all knew some of the pain the other families were going through. And because we spent so much time together, we had a lot of trust built up. 
And then two years ago, our family hit a very rough patch. As I tell you about it, I invite you all to remember a challenging moment in your own life and to hold it lightly. You don't have to remember the emotional depths of that moment. Just recall a little bit of what was happening in your life at a tough time. After years of battling, we decided our daughter would finally leave the public school system and finish her senior year requirements at a community college. I was embroiled in a series of meetings with the high school administration. My husband, Andy, took an incentive package when the company he'd been with for 25 years started to fail. And he had been looking for a new job for six months. And my mother came to visit. As some of you know already, she had just planned to stay for a couple of days at Halloween, enjoy the festivities, and head back home to New York. But that was not to be. While she was at our house, she fell. She fell again. She had pain the doctors could not explain or solve. And scariest of all, she had aphasia, bouts of speaking in a language no one else could understand. And we knew from all this, even though the doctors wouldn't say it, that her lymphoma was back. In the midst of all this, Andy fell down a flight of stairs and damaged his leg. He couldn't walk. I was running from the hospital to the high school to the sofa to try to help my family. I was working here. I was burning out. And then I had a mammogram and they found another lump. That was a profoundly dark time during the darkest part of the year. But I had those friends who held me through it all. They called and texted and took me out for coffee. They brought macaroni and cheese. They dropped off little bags of chocolate and silly bottles of hand sanitizer with glitter in it. They came to our home and surrounded us with hugs and guitar and banjo music. And most of all, listening ears and shoulders to cry on. They were the same friends I had made because of our kids' youth group at the Reading Church. And they saved 
our lives. Because no one can go through that level of change and loss alone. I got through that time. I'm here to tell the tale. And you got through your hard time too. You're sitting here today. So that hard time I asked you to remember, I invite you now to think about it just a little more. Crack it open just a moment longer to remember what was something, who was someone that helped you get through? Was it someone you were vulnerable with? Was it something that helped distract you? What is something that helped you make it through a dark moment? I invite you to take a moment now and turn to a neighbor and just tell them what that thing is. It's all right to keep it to yourself if you like, but I invite you now to share. Thank you so much for sharing. So I'm healthy today. My daughter is loving her college. And Andy starts a new job tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm eternally grateful to my friends. And I'm grateful to folks here for giving me time that winter 
to heal. And after that, I try to walk in a state of gratitude much more often. Like Will said, paying attention to gratitude is not easy. It's a discipline. It's not instinctive for me. I have to set phone reminders. I have to interrupt my thought patterns. I have to make pieces of art about gratitude, all to keep it in the forefront. But I know I have been very lucky to be blessed with two amazing communities of faith in my life, places that have many gifts and that have helped hold me together. And now I can focus on the things I'm grateful for. I can remember to say thank you to the table and to my friends. And I invite all of you to join us after the service at the table of friends, eating a treat and drinking some coffee together. And if you like, to write down something that you're grateful for on a slip of paper at that table in coffee hour. And we'll add it to our bulletin board. Because First Parish is an amazing place where we can be vulnerable and build friendships and trust and minister to one another. Where we can see each other every week and build relationships. Where we can sometimes even save each other's lives. Thank you.